following content may be disturbing to some. Discretion is advised. If you choose to enjoy one of our themed margaritas, please ensure that you are of legal drinking age and have fun but drink responsibly. I know I said this last week, but I don't normally want to cover cases with children. It's just one of those lines that sort of makes me feel uncomfortable to cross. But this particular case has fascinated basically the entire country for the last quarter of a century, and that includes me. John Benet Ramsey was killed in 1996. In 1999, the summer after my seventh grade year, I went on a family vacation with one of my middle school friends. Yes, we did all the normal, regular things on the trip, but we also forced her parents to take us to visit both Columbine High School, and then we drove to Boulder, Colorado. We went into a phone booth, yes, it was that long ago, and looked up the last name Ramsey. We then had her parents drive us past the huge Ramsey mansion. Those two things probably made her parents think we were a little weird, or maybe worse. At the time, we just referred to ourselves as morbid. Who could have predicted that in the next 20 years, the popularity of true crime would just explode and I'd be sitting right here? Turns out we were just ahead of the curve. For today's margarita, we're gonna do an ode to Colorado while still remaining legal for everyone in the United States. This CBD margarita might have the added benefit of making you feel relaxed which is probably pretty important for today's episode. We're gonna start with a classic margarita, two parts tequila and two parts simple syrup. I'm using honey simple syrup for this recipe. And then lastly, two parts lime juice and one part triple sec. And then we're gonna do one dropper full of CBD oil. For today, I'm using citrus because that's what I have. Once that's all in, you put the lid on and shake her up. Take the lid off. Say it with me, bougie people strain. We're ready to go. John Benet Ramsey was born on August 6, 1990 to parents John and Patricia Ramsey. She had an older brother named Burke, who was three years older, and then three much older half-siblings from John's first marriage. In 1991, John, Patsy, Burke, and John Benet all moved from Atlanta, Georgia to Boulder, Colorado for John's business. He was an up-and-comer in the technology sector, and truth be told, they were incredibly wealthy. Some reports say that their net worth was in the millions. They moved into a 7,000-square-foot home that had a basement, and then not two floors above that basement, but three floors above that basement. So it was really a four-story house. They, at one point, owned two airplanes. They were pretty wealthy. 
Patsy was an elegant former pageant winner who kept an immaculate household, and the kids had everything they ever wanted. Beth Ramsey, Jean Benet's half-sister, died in a car accident at age 22 in 1992. Patsy Ramsey was diagnosed with stage 4 ovarian cancer at just age 36 in 1993. After treatment, she went into remission for nine years. Jean Benet was a charming, highly extroverted girl who just loved being the center of attention. By the time she turned six, she had already won multiple beauty pageants herself. She had big, bouncy, beautiful blonde curls, a sweet smile, and a very notable stage presence. She was known to be a happy child who never really got grouchy, according to her babysitter. She loved trying new things, and even as a young child, it was said she could keep the dinner table conversation going all night. Those who loved her said Jean Benet found complete joy in the world. On December 25, 1996, the happy kindergartner and her older brother opened Christmas presents. The Ramsey house was perfectly decorated. They had a Christmas tree in every single room of that giant mansion, and each one of them had its own theme. Christmas was probably pretty magical in the Ramsey house. Jean Benet got a bicycle for Christmas, and reports say that she started riding it almost immediately, maybe even in the alley behind the house. They went to a Christmas party at a friend's house, and upon returning home, sometime between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock, Jean Benet was already asleep, so they carried her upstairs and put her to bed on the second floor of the house. Nine-year-old Burke also went to bed. His bedroom was on the other side of the second floor. Patsy and John then went to bed. Their bedroom was on the third floor of the house. It was actually the entire third floor of the house. Patsy woke up the next day, December 26th, at about 5.30 a.m. and went downstairs to make coffee. On the way downstairs, she notices a ransom note. More like a ransom letter, it was two and a half pages long, laid out on the stairs. She rushes upstairs to Jean Benet's bedroom and finds it empty. She then wakes John and calls 911 at 5.52 a.m. Two police officers responded to the 911 call and arrived within three minutes. They conducted a cursory search of the house, but found no signs of forced entry. Officer Rick French went into the basement and did notice a door that was closed and secured by a wooden latch, but he didn't open it and kept moving. He later explained that at the time he was looking for an exit route for a kidnapper, and so the lock being on the inside of the door ruled that particular room out. Jean Benet's body was later found behind that door. With Jean Benet still missing, John began making arrangements to pay the ransom. A forensic team was dispatched to the house, but at the time they believed it was a kidnapping, so they only quarantined off Jean Benet's bedroom to prevent contamination. Absolutely no precautions were taken whatsoever to prevent contamination in the rest of the house. Meanwhile, friends started showing up to show their support. Visitors just started cleaning and picking up things, including in the kitchen, and possibly destroying valuable evidence. Meanwhile, they were also traipsing throughout the house, contaminating every possible surface. Detective Linda Arndt showed up around 8 a.m. to help facilitate any sort of arrangements made by the kidnappers for the ransom, but no one ever called to arrange it. At 1 p.m., Detective Arndt asked John and a family friend to sort of search the house to see if 
anything looked amiss or anything looked different. I think it's important to note that Detective Arndt asked them to start from the top of the house and work their way to the bottom, but they sort of immediately headed straight for the basement. John opened the door with the wooden latch that Detective French had overlooked and opened it, finding his daughter's body. Jean Benet's mouth was covered in duct tape. She had nylon cord wrapped around her wrist and her neck, and the top half of her body was covered with a white blanket. John peeled the tape off of her mouth, picked her up, left the blanket in the basement, and brought her all the way upstairs, thereby ensuring a contaminated crime scene. The body was actually moved again after that point, and another blanket was placed on top of it. Contamination was everywhere. At 10.45 p.m., the Boulder County Coroner's Office removed Jean Benet's body from the house. This case ignited a media frenzy. It's important to remember that this was really the height of the paparazzi era. It was only a few months later that Princess Diana herself would be killed due to the paparazzi. Leaks were frequent in this case. On January 13, 1997, The Globe, a supermarket tabloid, released stolen crime scene photos. Videos of Jean Benet Ramsey and her pageants became viral before viral videos were really even a thing. The initial autopsy revealed that Jean Benet had been killed by strangulation and a skull fracture. The official cause of death was asphyxia by strangulation associated with craniocerebral trauma. There was no evidence of conventional rape, although sexual assault could not be ruled out. A garrote that was made with a piece of nylon cord and the broken handle of a paintbrush was tied around Jean Benet's neck and evidently was one of the tools used to kill her. Part of the bristle end of that paintbrush was found in a tub of Patsy's art supplies. The investigation into the crime began obviously immediately and continues to this day. There was an indictment in 1999 by a Boulder grand jury to John and Patsy Ramsey. The charge was two counts each of child abuse leading to death in connection with first-degree murder. The charges didn't directly accuse the Ramseys of murdering their child, but instead alleged that the parents put Jean Benet in a dangerous situation that led to her death and the charges accused them of helping whoever committed the murder. The DA refused to prosecute the case, and the Ramseys were officially cleared in 2008. There have been quite a few suspects in this murder over the past 25 years. We're going to talk about a few of the most likely suspects, and we're going to start with Santa Claus. Two days before Jean Benet died, Bill McReynolds had played Santa Claus at the Ramsey home. After her death, investigators questioned both Bill McReynolds and his wife Janet, who had played Mrs. Claus. He had allegedly given Jean Benet a card that said she would receive a, quote, special gift after Christmas, end quote. The McReynolds daughter had been abducted 22 years before Jean Benet's death to the exact same day. And Janet McReynolds had written a play about a child who was molested in their basement and then killed. The couple was eventually cleared through DNA evidence. Linda Hoffman Pugh, the couple's 57-year-old housekeeper, 
was also a suspect in the murder. Her husband, Melvin Pugh, was the couple's handyman. The ransom note had asked for a very specific amount of money, an amount of money that was almost identical to John Ramsey's Christmas bonus. It's possible that as the housekeeper, Linda knew the amount of that Christmas bonus. She had recently asked Patsy for a loan of several thousand dollars, and Patsy had refused. She obviously had a key to the house and knew the family's schedule and when they would be out at the Christmas party, for example. It's possible that she could have entered the house and waited, remember that house was huge, and waited until the family came home from the Christmas party. The theory is that Linda led a trusting John JonBenet Ramsey down into the basement in an attempt to trick the Ramseys into leaving the ransom money or possibly to kidnap her. There was a suitcase found near an open window in the basement. That suitcase would not fit through the window. In this theory, Linda may have murdered John Binet to prevent being caught because John Binet obviously knew Linda. As the DNA found on John Binet's body was that of a male, Linda was cleared of the crime. Linda eventually sued the Ramseys for libel for some things they had written in a book that they wrote about John Binet's death, but the case was dismissed. In the case of an intruder, there have been also several other suspects named and also some people who have falsely confessed, but no one has been caught or charged due to the DNA evidence found on John Binet's body. Nine-year-old Burke has also become a popular suspect in the last few years, despite the fact that at least according to investigators, he was never an official suspect and he was officially exonerated in 2008 with his parents. The theory suggests that Burke struggled with mental health issues and anger issues his entire life. He allegedly smacked Jean Binet in the face with a golf club not too long before the murder, leaving a scar underneath her, her eye. He was known to spread his feces around John Binet's bedroom, including after it had been cordoned off as a crime scene. The theory is that on Christmas night, Burke actually came downstairs and went into the kitchen to get a snack. He got a glass of tea and a bowl with pineapple and milk. Both of these things were found on the kitchen table with Burke's fingerprints on them. Jean Binet came downstairs too and stole a piece of pineapple right out of Burke's bowl. This enraged him and he grabbed the nearest thing he could find, which was a very large flashlight, and just bashed her in the skull. When Patsy and John discovered what he had done, they did all of the steps that came after it in order to cover up the murder and to protect Burke. This complicated theory is slightly less complicated if one of the other two suspects in the case, John and Patsy, murdered John Binet. One theory asserts that Patsy killed John Binet after she wet the bed, but there was no evidence that the bed had any urine in it. Her underwear did have urine in it, but that likely happened after she was no longer in the bedroom. Another theory asserts that John murdered her out of some kind of anger. Again, all three of them were formally exonerated in 2008. I do want to make a note about the DNA evidence found on and around John Binet. This is the same DNA evidence that has been used to clear all of the suspects thus far. There was trace evidence of DNA found in John Binet's underwear, on her long johns, 
underneath her fingernails and in the garrote that was allegedly used to strangle her. Not only do these samples of DNA not match each other, many reports are saying that these possibly are composite DNA or essentially DNA that's gotten mixed together from multiple people. There are a number of incredibly plausible explanations that these are just innocent DNA samples. For goodness sakes, the entire crime scene was contaminated right from the very beginning. Everyone and their mother was at the crime scene, cleaning up toast crumbs and walking around to where the body was going to be placed or where the body had been placed. In my opinion, not a single suspect can be cleared using the DNA wasn't a match excuse. No one's DNA has been a match, probably because DNA isn't relevant to this crime. There are armchair detectives and real detectives who have dedicated their entire lives to working on solving this crime. The amount of research that I did for this can in no way match their work. But I do have, of course, a few thoughts. By the way, my opinions have definitely changed from when I was 13 years old. The theory that this was an outside intruder just doesn't ring true to me. There weren't any footsteps anywhere that would show that an outside intruder tried to get in. That basement window, it wasn't even big enough for a suitcase to go through, much less an average-sized human. And there were cobwebs found in that windowsill that definitely would have been broken if someone went through. The ransom letter itself was just too long and convoluted to really be written by a random person seeking a ransom. I truly don't believe that Patsy or John committed the murder of Jean Benet. All of their friends commented on how loving and caring they were as parents. Patsy was a stage four cancer survivor. It doesn't seem likely that she would get enraged over her child wetting the bed. Their grief is real and palpable in those interviews that they gave in the months and years after Jean Benet's murder. But some of the things they did after the murder make absolutely no sense. This wasn't the 1800s. This was the late 1990s. Everyone knew that you shouldn't contaminate a crime scene. Why did John head straight for the correct bedroom when asked with his friend to search the house? Why did he pick up her body, take off the duct tape, and move the body to a different location? And much of the scene itself just doesn't make sense. The ransom note was two and a half pages long, and it's been proven that it was written using Patsy's notepad, which means they didn't bring the note with them. Who spends that much time writing a ransom note? Not to mention, it's filled with references that come straight out of Hollywood films. The thin cord that was used to go around Jean Benet's wrists was loosely tied in a slipknot. Easily, Jean Benet could have removed them herself if she had been conscious when they were put on her wrists. It's pretty obvious that those were put around her wrists after she was already unconscious. The scene itself is almost comically staged. In my mildly educated opinion, I do think Burke committed the murder. I believe that Jean Benet came downstairs and bothered her brother as he was trying to enjoy his late night snack. It's important to note that there was an organic piece of material found in her small intestines that resembled pineapple. He grabbed the heaviest thing he could find that was near him 
and just wailed on her. After he smashed her upside the head with a wound that is consistent with the size of that flashlight, she fell unconscious and totally brain dead. He either went to get his parents or they woke up because of the commotion and found her and they moved quickly to cover up her murder. They had to protect their living child. John dealt with Jean Benet's body. He fashioned the garrote out of one of Patsy's paintbrushes, loosely wrapped her wrists in cord, wrapped her in a white blanket, and put her in that room in the basement. The same room where they had hidden Christmas presents just a few days before. He tightened the garrote around her neck to make it appear that the death was only by strangulation. Patsy, meanwhile, dealt with the ransom note. She went to her office and practiced a few times. By the way, they did find practice ransom notes. Once she felt she got it right, she wrote and wrote and wrote for two and a half pages. In the first paragraph, she misspelled a few things on purpose, but as the paragraphs continued, she started to spell them correctly. She picked a ransom amount that came into her head immediately, which was her husband's Christmas bonus. She used words that she had previously heard in movies that she had watched to add to her ransom note to make it seem more believable. They came back to the kitchen with Burke and called 911. Afterwards, she started calling as many friends as possible to come over to contaminate the crime scene. Police arrived a few minutes later to find Patsy in the exact same clothes she had worn the night before because she'd never been to bed. I do think it was an accident, a tragic accident that destroyed a family and captivated a nation. Even more sadly, I think they could have told the truth about what happened and still protected their son. I'm not sure they got Burke help after this, but they might have been able to had they told the truth. In Colorado, the minimum age for prosecution of any crime is 10 years old. At the time of the crime, Burke was nine years old and 11 months. He wouldn't have even been prosecuted. The way that the grand jury brought the charges against John and Patsy Ramsey is further evidence to me that they also believed that Burke committed the crime and that the Ramseys not only put her in the position where that could happen, but they assisted Burke after the crime had been committed. John Benet Patricia Ramsey is buried in Marietta, Georgia, alongside her mother, who ended up succumbing to ovarian cancer in 2006, and her half-sister, Beth. There is a lot of hope that with the increasing DNA technology and the use of familial DNA, that the case of Jean Benet Ramsey will be solved very soon. But if the DNA isn't forensically significant, then it won't matter. DNA is only one part of the puzzle. It's, it's only one piece. So what do you think? Do you think someone in the family committed the murder? Or was it someone that had connections to the family or just a random outside intruder? Why did this crime get so much attention then? There are little girls killed every single day. Is it because she was pretty affluent and white? 
Were we captivated by those images and videos of her as a tiny little beauty pageant star? And why does the fascination continue today? Do you think we would still be as obsessed with it if it was a solved crime? Why does this little blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl still haunt us even today? Thanks for hanging out with me. If you have an idea for a case, or more importantly, a margarita, come hang out with us on Instagram. The link is in my bio. And good news, Facebook fans, we've also started a Facebook page. The link is in the description box, too. Next week, we're talking about the Bennington Triangle and all of the disappearances and supernatural sightings that have been seen there over the last 200 years or so. I hope you're liking Mars and Mayhem so far. I love feedback. I check all DMs on social media, and I also read my comments. Feel free to leave some. I'll see you next week, and remember, there are always alternatives to murder.